This is Sound and Vision on KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. Guitarist Steve Turner had a front row seat to Seattle's grunge scene. He played in the band Green River, the band which included future members of Pearl Jam, and was the first to be described with the word grunge. Turner went on to play with Mud Honey, which has been hugely influential to Seattle's grunge scene. Turner recently released a memoir about it all called Mud Ride, a messy trip through the grunge explosion. And he joins me now to talk about it. Hello. Hi there. So in the book, you write a lot about Seattle's early punk and hardcore scenes before grunge started to emerge. Talk about those two scenes and how they helped lay the foundation for grunge. Well, that's where most of us that became known for being in grunge bands and whatnot, we all kind of came out of the punk scene. And we all kind of came out of that punk into hardcore scene. The Metropolis in 1983 and 84 can't be overemphasized, I don't think, for its importance in kind of shaping the scene. And that was an all-ages venue, right? It was all-ages, and it was open for over a year, and that allowed small touring bands, hardcore bands, and punk bands to come through town. And I think that was a... A huge deal. And all of our bands that were just starting were opening for these slightly larger bands. I mean, some of them were small, but they were, you know, kind of a big deal. Because in the book, yeah, you, you say like the Metropolis was the place where the first seeds of grunge were planted. And then you go on to say how the venue Gorilla Gardens was the incubator for the grunge sound. How so? Well, Gorilla Gardens was interesting as a next thing. The, the owner didn't have any idea what he was doing, but he just kind of, by happenstance, created this spot that he considered one room to be the heavy metal room and one room to be the punk room. <laughs> and so there was metal shows going on at the same time as punk shows. And, you know, there was already crossover happening, in, especially, I think, in Seattle. I think that's a big part of the grunge story is the melding of the metalheads and the punkers. <laughs> but yeah, that, that place was great. Like there was often on weekend nights, there was two shows going on. You could pay to get into both. You never thought that Seattle's music would reach beyond the local scene. And in, in your book, uh, Mud Ride, you say, you know, we didn't care that much about succeeding. Our indifference and lack of professionalism were somehow working in our favor. And then you went on to say that Mud Honey inadvertently self-sabotaged yourselves by leaving some of your best songs off of your records because they were either way too poppy or because they came so easily that they seemed like throwaways. What were some of those songs that you didn't include on records that you also feel like we're good songs. Um, I think the the best example of that is a song from the Every Good Boy Deserves Fudge sessions at Egg Studios, Ounce Deception. It was really short, and we just, it's like we made it up on the spot practically, and, you know, I think we just thought it was whatever, you know. It wasn't our best work, but a few years later, Dan... Peters pointed out to us that, like, you know, that song's like probably the best song we did on that session. <laughs> so yeah, we, we did that a lot. You know, I think sometimes if we if the song just came so easy, then it would be already earmarked as a B-side and not 
for the actual record. And I think Green River did that too. I th- a lot of bands, I think, do. You know, you think the harder you work on something, the better it is. And I, th- I think with rock and roll, that's almost working against you. So in the book, you talk about uh, Nirvana's uh, Chris Novoselic and Dave Grohl asking if you'd be Nirvana's second guitar player, but you turned them down and said the band is much better as a three-piece. But then you also admitted that at the time you thought that if you were to join Nirvana from Mudhoney, it would be a lateral move or even a step down. And I'm curious how you view Nirvana as it compares to Mudhoney now, I mean, decades later. They asked me at a party and... It seemed weird to me. First off, at that point, I was still living with Dan Peters, and they'd just booted him out <laughs> from his very short stint with Nirvana. <laughs> yeah, so so that was kind of that made it kind of weird too. But uh, you know, I didn't really think much of it at the time. I was just like, nah, you, like because you know they'd had Jason Everman on second guitar for a while, and I didn't think it added anything to the band. I think it just kind of like muddied up their sound a little bit because when they would play as a three-piece, I, it's rare to find a really good three-piece. And I think they had it, you know, with Chris and Dave and, and Kurt. And I think they, that was a great three-piece, like super powerful. So I was like, nah, you don't need a second guitar player. But, you know, I understood in the passing years why Kurt wanted someone else to, you know, to be laying down the groundwork, I guess, and let him sing and do other guitar stuff, but uh, yeah, I didn't take it that seriously. I love Nirvana. I, I mean, when their f- first record came out and they were touring and, you know, they weren't really making a whole lot of headway in the world, but, you know, I, I would jokingly say, in a perfect world, Nirvana would be number one. Because, I mean, the first record they had about a girl on it, and that was such a perfect pop song. But, you know, then they hit number one, and the world certainly wasn't perfect. <laughs> they just happened to hit number one. <laughs> feel like, you know, we can't talk about grunge without mentioning, you know, the drug use that was happening at the time, you know, and in this book, you are open about, you know, Mudhoney guitarist and singer Mark Arms heroin use. Can you talk about how that drug use impacted just Mudhoney's songwriting and touring at times? You know, Mark, I mean, you know, it's weird for me to talk about it, but he's, he started talking about it. So I feel like it's okay for me to mention it, at least as far as how it impacted me and the band. You know, uh, he was fine on tour for the most part. You know, we'd get in the van and he'd kind of go cold turkey when he was at his worst. And so he'd just kind of be asleep in the back of the van for the most part for the first few days. But he did, you know, he thrived on tour and he did great. It was just when he was back home that, you know, he would settle back into bad habits. And, you know, he eventually realized it and realized that he had become a cliche, as he kind of says it, <laughs> you know, and kicked it. Um, it didn't change our songwriting, I don't think. He was at his worst kind of when we did Piece of Cake and that we all kind of don't 
love that whole record. I, I think we kind of failed to get a good record together when it kind of maybe mattered the most. You know, so he would be late for the studio, like, every day, always. <laughs> Just kind of waiting for Mark to show up. <laughs> you know, so, I, you know, there was a morale problem, I think, amongst us because of it. We are on the roof of the Space Needle. We are on the roof of the Space Needle. Mud Honey live on 90.3 KEXP. Fast forward a little bit. Mud Honey's 2013 performance on top of the Space Needle that KEXP filmed as part of a sub pop anniversary is legendary. <laughs> and what I didn't know was how dangerous and logistically challenging that performance was. Like, <laughs> like you were talking about, like there's nothing to save you if you walk too close to the edge. Like you just boop. You know, <laughs> and like how the how like your drummer was like worried about like dropping a drumstick because then it would fall off and then hit someone under the space needle. Like what a poor tourist, yep. you know, and like you had this pulley system to get like your amps up. Like walk us through that performance and like what it took for you to be there, but also just like how dangerous it was. It didn't seem that dangerous, honestly. You know, um, we couldn't have full sized amps. Because the hole in the roof that you you had to climb two story the last two stories inside you you're basically climbing up a ladder to get to a, a hole in the roof that you crawl out of. So uh, guys, full full size bass amp wouldn't fit, so he had to use a little tiny amp. <laughs> and Mark chose not to play guitar; his amp wouldn't have fit through the roof anyway. Logistically, it was funny. I, the one of the funniest things was like when we were all kind of heading up there. I, I had my son Milo with me, and he was young at the time, twenty thirteen. So he was nine years old, and you know, I very quickly realized I did not want him up on the roof. Oh, I'd be so scared. <laughs> because, like no, like, like heck no. Like he wouldn't be scared. I would be scared. I wouldn't be able to concentrate. <laughs> I'd just be staring at him, making sure because he was he was very rambunctious as a as a kid. So I was like, okay, he's not coming up there. And we kind of all started hauling our stuff up there and getting up there. And Kim Thile from Soundgarden was there, and he started going up the ladder in front of me. And he got up about like five or six rungs, and he's like, nope, not doing it. And so he, he, we had to kind of come back and let him off the ladder. <laughs> He was like, nope, not, not, go, not, nope, not for me. Awesome set, Mud Honey, live from the roof of the Space Needle. That was amazing. Who knew the acoustics were so good up here? So in 2021, uh, I love this story. Seattle Public Utilities asked the public to name a tunnel boring machine that was meant to prevent sewage overflow during the rainy season. Uh, said, hey, public, name this tunnel boring machine. And the public <laughs> named it Mud Honey. I'm, I'm also guessing kind of a tongue in cheek on honey buckets. <laughs> um, yeah. And apparently that inspired the band to write your latest album, which was released in April. How would you describe this record compared to Munhuddy's earlier releases? Well, first off, you know, this that was at the height of the pandemic. We hadn't seen each other for over a year at that point. And 
You know, when that offer, the naming, the boring machine came up, we were just like, oh, hell yeah. And <laughs> we, we got on it. Like, Guy really took to it. And we did a lot of outreach and campaigning on our behalf to name it for us. And because one of the other main names was for Sir Mix-a-Lot, like Sir Digs-a-Lot Digs -a -Lot, or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I'm going to guess Sir Mix-a-Lot does not want to be linked up to a, a sewage tunnel boring machine <laughs> you know like that's not like but we did we we're like yeah that yeah, needs to be named we need to get this <laughs> and so we were really excited about it so we we you know we campaigned we got you know pearl jam and stuff on board with posting about it and all that kind of fun stuff it was just something kind of fun to do while we couldn't really hang out and see each other so to, a to answer the part about the actual record we went into the studio this time not nearly as prepared as usual. Um, we had some riffs and some ideas, a few songs finished, but not very many because we hadn't seen each other for a year and a half. But we kind of were on a time crunch to get the record out so we could start touring again um, once we were allowed to do that. So Dan has been playing a lot of guitar in the last few years, and he's actually started writing whole songs and he'll he brought some demos like uh you know fully conceived ideas for songs to us this time around and that was a great different thing to bring into the mix so little dogs was we can blame dan for that song not the lyrics that's all mark but, <laughs> but uh you know we, i love that song but it's so not what we normally do but dan is fairly unique guitar player i think it's he, he does some great stuff now so that, that's kind of fun that we have him bringing ideas in now. I've been speaking with Mud Honey guitarist Steve Turner about his new memoir called Mud Ride, A Messy Troop Through the Grunge Explosion. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I've had a good time. That was Sound and Vision. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and consider giving a one-time $20 donation to help support this show at kexp.org slash sound. Thanks for listening.